0: All the talk about the NFL draft was how deep the wide receiver class was, and it proved to be with over 35 wide receivers being drafted, 13 in the first two rounds, and six first round wide receivers. These are numbers that we're not used to seeing, so it's going to create an environment where a ton of wide receivers have the potential, based on their draft capital and amount of money they're going to be paid, to be involved in their offenses. I want to urge you, just like I did with running backs though, that sixth and seventh and fifth round wide receivers, although they might work out sometimes, it's not always going to be the case. And in a draft where you saw six first rounders, seven second rounders, and three third round picks, there's going to be a lot of capital in those first few rounds at wide receiver that likely have the best opportunity in their offenses to break out. Now, I will say there were eight fifth-round picks at wide receiver this year, so I would not be shocked if one or two of them get some playing time. But depending on the pandemic, and this is a big, big question mark for every single rookie wide receiver, every single player, but the rookie wide receivers mainly, they are impacted the most by this pandemic. If the rookie wide receivers do not get training camp, rest assured they are hurt the most compared to the rookie running backs, the rookie quarterbacks, because those wide receivers are not independent of their quarterback, are not independent of their offense, like a rookie running back is going to be. A rookie running back depends on a lot of instincts and just pure athleticism whereas although a wide receiver depends on those they also depend on learning the playbook to getting used to releases on cornerbacks in the NFL and the biggest one chemistry with their quarterback and new offense so be very weary if you start to see the preseason canceled and even more camp and OTA activities canceled for these rookie wide receivers I would knock them all down including the first rounders so I'm going to put on the screen right now just a list of all the wide receivers that were taken in the the first four rounds and then it'll transition into the, the fifth to the seventh round so tons of them I have a chart of 36 wide receivers that were taken And and trust me, just half of those, the first 18 that were taken in the first through fourth rounds, they look like fantastic options this year for the most part in their offenses. Today, I'm going to be going through the must own, the must draft rookie wide receivers that no, you don't have to draft them in your first and second and third round. That's not going to happen. But guys that if you're in ball leagues, if you're in dynasty leagues, especially, but even just redraft leagues and stop drafting a defense and kicker in your draft and pick up an extra one of these rookie wide receivers in your final two or three rounds and just load up on the upside rather than loading up on old aging veterans like a Fitzgerald that's not going to have a ton of opportunity in their offense get the exciting guys who might be a wide receiver one like some of the guys that we're talking about by the end of the year so if you enjoyed my content if you have not seen much of my other videos I'm going to reach a lot of a new audience with all of this NFL 2020 stuff prepping for the season so be sure to check out my other playlists and YouTube videos on the fantasy football 2020 season I have a question before we start the show today and this is a debate that I've had with a lot of friends would you rather have Kenny Galladay or DJ Moore in a redraft format PPR for the 2020 season I have them ring very close right now. I have Galladay around 9. I have DJ Moore around 10. Which one would you personally rather have? Let me know in the comments. Looking forward to some feedback. And please, before we get into it, hit the subscribe button if you enjoy this content. I'll urge you throughout the video to do that as well, trying to grow this audience as we approach the NFL season. We can do fantastic things with this channel. So if you enjoy this content, please be sure to let me know by hitting the subscribe button. So the first must draft wide receiver for the 2020 fantasy football season is going to be Henry Ruggs, and he was the first wide receiver off the board. Man, oh man, does John Gruden love his speedsters. I mean, not only in in pre previous drafts with this Oakland connection with Darius Hayward Bay and guys taken early but just John Gruden himself even dating back to last year now he's been always talking about how much he loves Tyree Kill more so than anybody else on broadcasts but he got Tyrell Williams he even ended up getting from the Packers Trevor Davis a guy who really never did anything but was a speedster he just loves fast receivers he fails to realize that you need both speed it seems and size to actually be a true number one dominant receiver and he just goes for the speed which it's there for Henry Ruggs a guy who ran a 4 2 and while he was at Alabama for his Three years there, he had a 75 PFF grade in 2019. He caught 40 balls for 746 yards and seven touchdowns. Only 55 targets, just a 13% target share. But there's issues with that because he was in an offense with Jerry Judy. He was in an offense with future potential first-round picks that are still at Alabama, so it's hard to judge him based off of that. He had over 15 career yards per reception, and when he was targeted, he had 151.4 passer rating for his quarterback and only three drops. So he has the speed, he has all of that. His downsides are probably going to be have to do with separation, contested catch. Because because of his size and really just seeing, can he take on a full workload of getting somewhere between 80 to hundred targets? Now he walks into an offense that's going to be led by Darren Waller, who was a tight end last year, who had over 1100 yards, 90 receptions and 115 targets around a 24% target share led that Oakland team. Next up with slot wide receiver Hunter Renfro out of Clemson coming into his second year who saw just 67 targets. So there's a lot for the taking here. Now Tyrell Williams, somebody who still has three years left on a $44 million four year deal that has $10 million. Guaranteed only, so he could be a cut candidate. Maybe not this year, but next year moving forward, he was a bust last year. 1.58 yards per route run in 14 games. He saw just 42 receptions. And then the wide receiver two on the other outside, not including Renfro in the slot, was Zay Jones, who they acquired during the season from Buffalo, who was one of the worst wide receivers, the second worst wide receiver in the league for any receiver above 300 routes run, with only 0.58 yards per route run. He was absolutely horrendous. He was atrocious. He is due just 1.39 million dollars this year. Then he is a free agent. I would not be shocked based on the. The other draft picks that Oakland used this year to see say Jones cut before the season starts because Oakland did indeed acquire Lynn Bowden who Lynn Bowden went to Kentucky he was a wide receiver who was transitioned into a wildcat quarterback and led the SEC in rushing yards last year which is crazy midseason transition he was drafted in the third round it was really back-to-back picks of Lynn Bowden and then Brian Edwards that were drafted in the third round of this draft and Brian Edwards is out of South Carolina four years there he has size he's able to break tackles in 2019 he had a 24 percent target share 2.58 yards per route run he did get a lot of his productions on screen and he doesn't have a lot of good release off the line of scrimmage based on his college years but this is a ton of new wide receivers in this offense so it doesn't even hurt help rugs that there's that many receivers in the offense but it surely surely hurts and harms Tyrell Williams and Zay Jones who just would not produce last year for Oakland now the quarterback situation is Derek Carr and although there was rumors of them wanting Brady and drafting another quarterback Derek Carr was very stable in 2019 now Oakland only ran the 24th most pass plays, 34.5 per game, but they were ninth in passing yards with 245.2 per game. He was the number two overall completion percentage. It was a top 10 PFF graded offense in the passing game alone, and he had the number one protection rate. Now the downsides were that he was 25th in deep ball attempts per game, under three per game. That hurts Henry Ruggs. That hurts Tyler Williams, who's already out there. They were a top 10 red zone attempt offense though, so they got there and they actually passed pretty often, and they threw to the 17th most times in the league. You saw a lot of good accuracy numbers out of Derek Carr, just not a lot of deep ball attempts and not a lot of upside in this offense in terms of just boom out big plays outside of Darren Waller in the middle of the field and Josh Jacobs in the backfield. So the overall outlook for Henry Ruggs for me personally, I'm not that excited about it. I do not think he should have gone as the first receiver, the 12th guy overall off the board in this past draft. You have Darren Waller who's going to command the target share. You have the incentive to keep Tyrell Williams on the field a decent amount. Josh Jacobs is set for a breakout year in the backfield and then you go and draft two third round wide receivers, which based on that draft capital, at least one of them is probably going to make a significant impact. And we haven't even started to talk about Hunter Renfro in the slot coming into his second year as a favorable target to Derek Carr. There are so many mouths in this Oakland Raiders offense, and now you have a situation where just a speedster is coming in, somebody who's really not going to be going over the middle of the field all that much to produce for you and probably won't have a huge red zone role in this offense. I'm a little bit concerned about Henry Ruggs compared to some of the other rookie wide receivers. Numero dos on our list is going to be Jerry Judy, who is the second wide receiver selected out of Alabama, and he's going to the Denver Broncos. Jerry Judy, while in college at Alabama was fantastic. He's 6'1", 193 pounds. He's 21 years old. He had an 86 PFF grade last year, going for over 1,100 yards on 108 targets. He actually played the slot on over 50% of his snaps, 64 total slot targets, made up 59% of his overall targets, and he saw a 25.1% target share last year. He's the best route runner, in my opinion, and a lot of experts in this industry's opinion in the entire class. He saw an elite, an elite 3.49 yards per route run. He was the second receiver off the board. his target competition in the contracts of some of his teammates. Number one is Cortland Sutton had 72 receptions for over 1,100 yards and a 26.1% target share last year for right around 120 targets. He saw nearly 30% of the red zone targets, Sutton, and I don't think Judy will impact that that much. Sutton still has two years left on his rookie deal, which was a four-year deal for $6.8 million, and based on his track record so far, that man is likely going to get paid in two years. Noah Font was second on this team in targets with 67, a 13.9% target share, and third was Deshaun Hamilton, former Penn State receiver, who only had a 0.76 yards per outrun a 13.6 percent target share on 52 targets. Hamilton has two years left on his deal, but he's only due 1.67 million. He's a very like, likely cut candidate because not only did they draft Jerry Judy, the Broncos, they also drafted out of Penn State, like Hamilton, KJ Hamler in the second round, who did not get to run the 40. But if he did, he would have likely ran very similar to Henry Ruggs around a 427, likely a 4-3. So I assume that KJ Hamler, who is a, normally a slot receiver, is going to take the role of Deshaun Hamilton. Hamilton likely not going to play all that much. And then Jerry Judy will transition into the slot in four wide receiver sets and then probably to the outside a good amount of the time. But Judy's route running ability and his overall upside, it does still make him worthy of a pick in most of your drafts in the later rounds, but very similar to Ruggs, I'm not that excited about him. Not only do you have a ton of mounts to feed, but you have Drew Locke, who was not that good in this offense last year. Now, they only ran the 25th most pass plays per game, and their passing offense ranked 28th according to Pro Football Focus, under 195 passing yards per game. That is just brutal. Drew Locke only had 5.4 red zone attempts per game, which actually ranked 34th out of 32 teams. He ranked 34th. He only attempted 2.8 deep passes per game, which ranked 39th amongst all quarterbacks. His touchdown percentage was not that good. 33rd overall at 4.5%, and he only threw for 204 yards per game. Now, yes, he came into the mid-season, but he was terrible with deep ball accuracy, and now he has a ton of mouths to feed, but he's still not that great of a quarterback. So this whole situation for really everybody outside of maybe a Noah Font because of the tight end position and Cortland Sutton because of him just being an alpha on the outside, it does scare me for a lot of these other guys in this offense, like Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler, the rookies. Well, at least the Cowboys knew how good C.D. Lamb was because he was sixth on their board and he should have been a top 10 prospect and I think he was for most uh, smart people looking at this board in this class but he drops to 17th overall and although the Cowboys didn't need him they likely needed a cornerback or or a linebacker or something of that nature they ended up taking him because that's what you do when an elite talent like C.D. Lamb who in my opinion was the best player in this draft at the wide receiver position drops to you at number 17 and boy oh boy is this going to be a fantastic and, and an elite offense for Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys entering the 20th season. Now, C.D. Lamb, while he was at Oklahoma, ran a four-five, and he was there for three years. 200 pounds. He's six foot two. He had a 90 PFF grade last year. He had 60 receptions, over 1,300 yards, in 14 touchdowns on a 24.7% target share. He did run 26% of his snaps out of the slot, and he saw 40% of his targets from the slot. So he does have that versatility in his game. As a true freshman, straight out of high school, he had over 800 yards and seven touchdowns at Oklahoma. Man's an absolute monster. Now, coming into this Dallas offense, there's going to be a ton of competition. competition. Amari Cooper, both Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup went for over 1,100 yards last year and they both had over 110 targets, both of them seeing over a 20% target share and around 15% red zone target share. Now Amari Cooper has 40% of his money guaranteed and locked up on his five year $100 million deal, which has four years left on the contract, but there's a potential out after next year. So CeeDee Lamb's upside in dynasty formats is, is very, very high compared to his just redraft for next year, but he's still viable next year. Jason Witten and Randall Cobb have both left this team and they're going to be vacating a ton a ton of targets. Randall Cobb is leaving behind 79 targets and 55 receptions. Jason Witten is leaving behind 82 targets and 63 receptions. Both of those two players, Cobb and Witten, combined for 113 slot targets. Next up on the entire team was Amari Cooper at 17. So there's a ton of opportunity for CD Lamb to move into the slot and really this entire offense to move into the slot and generate through each other, rotate between Amari, Gallup, and CD Lamb. But there's a lot of opportunity to be taken here because Cobb in this offense last year saw 55 receptions as a 28-year-old receiver who had some injuries and a ton of drop problems led the league in drops. Now you're putting a rookie stud in there in C.D. Lamb. The upside is there for 70 plus receptions out of Lamb. Now the biggest winner of maybe the entire draft and one of the best ones out of the entire draft, and definitely this offense, was Dak Prescott in 2019. Dak Prescott in this Dallas Cowboys offense threw the ball 38.8 times per game, that ranked 13th, and they had the number nine pass offense per Pro Football Focus with the second most pass yards per game at 297. 4.9 deep passes per game, which ranked fifth overall. They had the top five protection rate with that good offensive line in Dallas. And number two in deep ball accuracy was Dak Prescott at 48.7%. So this offense is going to be fantastic. You are going to see Amari for at least this year, Amari Gallup and CD Lamb. I believe that you're going to see some sort of rotation in three wide receiver sets with likely Amari and CD Lamb into the slot. Lamb, again, played about a quarter of his snaps in the slot last year, saw 40% of his targets there, and Amari has had that track record in his past, and he really sets up nicely to be a crisp route runner out of the slot. When Randall Cobb had a significant role in this offense last year as a late round wide receiver pick, you know a rookie stud like CD Lamb will as well. Well, the Eagles walked away from this draft with like four or five new wide receivers. They traded for Marquise Goodwin during it, they drafted like three or four receivers in the draft but none was better than their pick at pick 21 in the first round in Jalen Rieger in my opinion out of TCU while he was at TCU Jalen Rieger was there for three years he ran a 4-4-7 he was comped to Christian Kirk and in 2019 he saw 88 targets in 12 games he had 611 yards and 23.5% target share. His TCU quarterback play, offensive line, offense in general was awful. Listen to this number. Only 30% of Jalen Rieger's targets were deemed catchable. That's how bad his offense and quarterback play specifically was. 30% of his targets out of the 88 targets he saw, only a third of them, if that, were deemed actually catchable. So his pros are that he's elite after the catch. He has a ton of speed. He, has, he runs very good routes, NFL ready routes. His downsides are just his versatility and his press off the line of scrimmage, which you see in a lot of rookie receivers receivers and younger guys. Now he's coming into an offense that was just decimated at receiver last year, hence why they drafted a bunch of guys and trade for Marquise Goodwin during the draft, but it was led by Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard, two tight ends. Ertz ended up seeing 23.8% of the target share and Dallas Goddard ended up seeing 25.6% of the target share. Now Alshon Jeffrey did miss a handful of games last year and he has two years left on his four year $52 million deal and he's due about $23 million. So I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon, but Jeffrey did actually see 23% target share and 23% target share as well in the Reds zone in this offense. So I do believe he's still going to be a factor if he can just stay healthy. Another thing to point out is that Nelson Aguilar is also not on this team anymore, and he will leave behind 65 targets and 39 receptions. He'll also leave behind a couple of drops for your Eagles fans out there. I know you'll be happy to see that gone. So Jalen Rieger's arrow, in my opinion, is going to be pointing up in this offense. You have a couple of aging veteran receivers who, although were in the offense and had a nice target share like Jeffrey last year, he's really just become a jump ball red zone receiver, especially as he gets older. The tight ends will still be active and they use a, two, a bunch of two- tight end sets but you're going to see Jalen Rieger featured in this offense especially considering him being a first round pick. Now Carson Wentz in 2019 was a part of an Eagles offense that ranked seventh in passes per game at 40.6 per game. They were the 13th ranked pass offense per pro football focus and averaged 240 passing yards per game. 11th overall. Now they were top 10 in red zone attempts per game in the passing game at 4.8 per game. Carson Wentz was very good last year, even with no wide receivers, relying on Greg Ward and running back Boston Scott towards the end of the season to carry that team into the playoffs. So Jalen Rieger is going to be a big uptick and he's going to be one of the rookie wide receivers that has the most potential in his target share in year one. Now, before we keep going, I want to mention Monkey Knife Fight, which you can see the logo above me right now. Monkey Knife Fight is a spot where you can play some player props. And I really enjoy playing over there for any of the sports that you want to play, anything you're interested in. In. They do have player prop games over there, over, unders, more or less, those types of game formats. And if you sign up now for the first time, you use the link in the description or just a promo code that you can see on the screen, Vetri, they will match your minimum deposit. You can put $10, you can put 50 if you want, but if you want to put the minimum deposit of $10, they will give you a $15 bonus. Check it out down below. They'll let me know when you sign up and I'll be reaching out as well. So appreciate it. Get that $15 for free. Why would you not? Why would you not do a little, you get 25 bucks, you put 10 in, you'll end up with 25 in your account and go gamble that to uh, a couple of parlays yourself in into vacation right who knows but have some fun enjoy monkey knife fight let's get back to this video now there might not be a single wide receiver who has more upside in his offense in year one than justin jefferson justin jefferson out of lsu had a fantastic year last year every single one of his targets but two was out of the slot 97.8 percent of his targets out of the slot he saw a 21 percent overall target share at lsu the national champions last year in 85 pff grade he's good in contested catch he has a good double move he breaks tackles his downsides are that he lacks separation and a lot of slot wide receivers and just rookie wide receivers in general will. Now I think there's going to be a lot of misunderstandings and just and just false narratives about Justin Jefferson's role when he gets to Minnesota. Everybody's going to say this guy ran so many slot routes at, at, at LSU, he's going to be playing the slot. Yes, that would make sense, except Minnesota last year never used a slot wide receiver. They ran so many two wide receiver sets and two tight end sets, mainly 12 personnel, two tight ends in the field, one running back and two receivers, that you just didn't have a slot wide receiver. So although I do think Jefferson will be the primary option when they... They do have a slot wide receiver on the field, I think he's going to be forced to play the outside a lot more because they rely so heavily on two tight end sets in Minnesota. Like Busy Johnson saw 38.2% of his snaps out of the slot, but Busy Johnson in general did not run a ton of routes relative to other slot wide receivers. I mean, to prove the point, he only saw 14 targets. Adam Thielen, who was injured, often injured last year, so only saw 16 slot targets in this offense. They don't see a lot of slot wide receivers used in this offense all that much. So being the fifth wide receiver selected and potentially even fell last year, his target competition, in this offense is not going to be much. You have Stefan Diggs leaving this offense in a trade with the Buffalo Bills where he saw over 60 receptions, over 1,100 yards, and over 90 targets last year. All of that is going to be left behind. A 21.9% target share is up for the taking and nobody better to fit that than Justin Jefferson. Dalvin Cook was the number two receiver in terms of targets on this team last year with 62. As a running back, Adam Thielen, who was injured, he missed six games, he played in 10 games. He saw 48 targets, at 17.8% target share. And again, he led the team with 16 slot targets. Not a lot at all. And then the only competition that Justin Jefferson has for the wide receiver two job right now, if he's even in line for that with Busy Johnson, is 31 receptions, 294 yards, and three touchdowns on 45 targets out of Busy Johnson, just 11% target share. He was very bad. He was sixth behind both of the tight ends, rookie last year, Irv Smith Jr., and Kyle Rudolph, veteran, and he was fourth in routes run out of all of these players as well. Busy Johnson is not going to be a competition for Justin Jefferson. The downsides, though, for Jefferson is that he's used to playing the slot, and I really don't think he'll get a lot of opportunities there, or at at least not as much as people are expecting he'll move to the outside where his downsides of not being able to get a release not being good at the line of scrimmage might actually hurt him to start the year but the overall opportunity that he will have with no Steph Diggs there and no viable wide receiver two to compete with him is going to leave to Justin Jefferson being one of the best fantasy commodities out of the rookie wide receivers in the 2020 fantasy football season now he gets to play with Kirk Cousins who ranked only 31st in this Minnesota offense in pass attempts per game last year with 30.9 they ranked number three overall in passing offense because they were so efficient but 20 third in passing yards per game at only 220 17th in deep attempts per game at 3.8 per game and they only passed compared to running plays on 62.8 percent of their pass plays that was ranked 27th in the league not that great but they did have the number two protection rate for Kirk Cousins and Kirk Cousins was top five in true completion percentage in deep ball accuracy in play action passing he was a very efficient passer and we know him to be an accurate passer him being an accurate passer will help a rookie wide receiver like Jefferson whose routes might not be all that pristine to start the season so like I Said the opportunity is there for Jefferson to take a hold of a big target share around 20% in his first year. I think the arrow is pointing up for Justin Jefferson in 2020. It was interesting to see the 49ers trade up for Brandon Ayuk in this draft this year, but Kyle Shanahan loves his yards after the catch receivers. He got a Debo Samuel last year, and he schemed plays for him to take advantage of his number one talent in producing yards after the catch. And Brandon Ayuk while at Arizona State averaged 10.9 yards after the catch during his time there in 2019. Those are very, very elite numbers a guy who broke 14 tackles and was very explosive while maintaining speed through contact. He did play 16% of his snaps through the slot last year. He had over 1,100 yards on 99 targets, saw a 27% target share and averaged over 18 yards per reception at Arizona State. was not expecting him to go this early in the first round, maybe a little bit later in the first, early in the second. I was not expecting a team to trade up for Brandon Ayuk, but Kyle Shanahan is a mastermind on offense in my opinion, so I do not doubt what he sees in Brandon Ayuk. He was the sixth wide receiver taken in the first round. His target competition is going to mainly be George. George Kittle, who had over a thousand yards, who saw a team leading 107 receptions for 28.2% of the team's target share. Emmanuel Sanders, who was there and saw 56 targets while he was with the 49ers last year after being traded from Denver, 36 receptions, three touchdowns on those 56 targets. He's going to be leaving those behind. Ebo Samuel, a second year player who was a rookie last year, actually saw 81 targets last year. He led all wide receivers in the entire league with three touchdowns and 159 rushing yards. He will be coming into his second year. But then the next guy up in the pecking order, there's not much there. You did have Kendrick Bourne seeing like 40 targets last year as the wide receiver three in this offense. But since Emmanuel Sanders is gone and Sanders in just three quarters of a season saw 56 targets and a 20 plus percent target share while he was in San Francisco. That bodes well for a guy like Brandon Ayuk, who can be transitioned into the slot 16% of his snaps in college there, who can have upside, especially after the catch with Kyle Shanahan's schemes. So I do like the upside for Ayuk this year. He's a much, much later round pick. He probably won't get drafted in a lot of your fantasy drafts, but even in dynasty formats, he's somebody that you should be keeping an eye on, especially because of the offense that he's in, in terms of his head coach being able to scheme him open. Now for the offense that he's in though, immediately and not really dynasty, but immediately for this year, it doesn't look as great because San Fran last year in. 29th with only 32 pass attempts per game and they only had 237 yards per game in the passing game that was 13th overall. Now they're 2.2 deep targets per game of 20 plus yards from Jimmy G only ranked 29th so that's not great and they were 15th overall average in protection for Jimmy Garoppolo. They ranked 31st in how often they passed compared to run which was 58.97 percent 31st that is not good. Now Jimmy G though number one in deep ball accuracy he only threw 2.2 per game but he was number one in deep ball accuracy and number three in true completion percentage. So very accurate. Brandon Ayuk likely figures to be the number three option in the passing game to start the season in San Francisco, or at least after the first few weeks. But you also have to keep in mind how many running backs and how often they like to one throw to the running backs and also just run the ball. That's going to really make him the fourth option on this team in general. So Brandon Ayuk, arrow pointing a little bit more downwards compared to Jalen Rieger compared to Justin Jefferson so far. So C.D. Lamb falling to 17 might've been the steal of the draft wide receiver, but I think Denzel Mims probably rivals that who was drafted later in the second round and was profiled out to be a first round pick by many different experts in the industry. Denzel Mim goes to the New York Jets and while he was at Baylor for four years, he ran a 4-3-8-40, the third best out of all the wide receivers who actually ran 40s in this class. He went for over a thousand yards last year on a 24.1% target share and he saw 28 deep targets. Did not play the slot all that much, only 7% of the time or so. He has the speed, he has the size combination, he has a ton of burst. He broke out very young at 19 years old, which is good to see that he's been able to excel since then and just kind of maintain that production in his four years at Baylor with the Chris Godwin comparison. I think Denzel Mims is an absolute sleeper because of the offense that he's about to go into. So, his target competition and contracts, it was Jamison Crowder out of the slot. So, over 120 targets last year, 25% of the target share, and a 30% red zone target share from Sam Darnold. Sammy Darnold loves throwing to the slot. Jamison Crowder is still there, and he's likely going to see a lot of production to follow up his 78 reception season from last year. But there's no more Robbie Anderson, which leaves 96 targets and 19.5% of the target share on the table in this Jets offense, 52 receptions. There's no more Demarius Thomas, which actually leaves a good amount of production to go around 36 receptions and 55 targets. Thomas was the wide receiver three last year. And the only thing that the jets have really brought in right now is Rashad Perriman, the former Tampa Bay Buck, on a one-year $3 million deal where he saw 69 targets and 36 receptions last year, six touchdowns in that Tampa Bay offense. So this passing game right now is Crowder in the slot, is Le'Veon Bell who saw 74 targets in the backfield, and then it's up to Denzel Mims, the second round draft pick who has a lot of draft capital, and Rashad Perriman in three wide receiver sets as of right now. So Mims, very similar to Justin Jefferson, has a very good chance to be the number two option in this passing game out of the wide receivers right behind Crowder when you factor in targets. When you factor in upside and downfield, targets, he's going to be competing with Brashad Perriman, but he should have all the opportunity in the world based on draft capital to do exactly that. The New York Jets ranked 21st in pass attempts per game last year at 35.8. They were the 27th graded passing offense from pro football focus with only 194 passing yards per game. Not good at all. Just 4.2 deep attempts per game was 20th in the league. And you saw 4.2 red zone attempts per game, which was 25th in the league. You saw a protection rate of only 31st in the league at 77% for Sammy Darnold. And they passed the ball though, which is the upside. Here, Sam Darnold passed the ball 70.9% of the time. That was top eight in the NFL. So there's a lot, a lot of upside for the Jets' offense here. Sam Darnold, though, not good. 32% of deep ball accuracy, 37% accuracy in the red zone, and 24% true completion percentage. So you're hoping to see Sam Darnold take a step forward so that Mims can actually excel to an even higher ceiling potentially in this offense. So I like where the arrow trends right now in dynasty formats and this season specifically for a guy like Denzel Mims. He looks to have a very similar role to Justin Jefferson in terms of being able to play and start right away and see a very competitive target share of 20 plus percent in this New York Jets offense. Indianapolis Colts had a very good draft in my opinion, and they started it off in that second round snap, Michael Pittman. Pittman out of USC played there for four years. He ran a 4 5 2 He's compared to Alshon Jeffrey and Dwayne bow when they were coming out of college. He had over 100 receptions, over 1,200 yards on 133 targets last year for USC, a 26.5% target share, an 81 PFF grade. Did not play the slot all that much, just 7.2% of the time. Now his NFL size and ball skills are what really makes him exciting, especially with the gunslinger now in Indianapolis in Phillip Rivers. Now I really do like Pittman, especially for his size and just the advantages. Is that he's going to have on a lot of DBs and cornerbacks. Nobody in this offense top 72 targets, mainly because of a T.Y. Hilton injury, but also Eric DeBron gave up and there wasn't that many dynamite players in this offense in general. Jack Doyle actually led the way with 72 targets, only a 14.8% target share. So you can see how the offense was just distributed a bunch, of plethora of players. Zach Pascal actually saw the most yards at 607 on 72 targets as well, 16.6% of the target share. T.Y. Hilton played in just 10 games, but he still did see an elite 24.6% target share when he was out there. So I do expect T.Y to have a role in this offense if he can just stay healthy. T.Y. Hilton is in the final year of a five-year, $65 million deal, and he's due $14.5 million this year. So depending on what happens with T.Y. this year, if he stays healthy, if if he produces, he'll probably be there maybe on a shorter contract. If not, it might be Michael Pittman's offense to run in the future with one Paris Campbell. Paris Campbell in his rookie season played just seven games due to injuries. He injured his abs. He fractured his hand. He fractured his foot. The guy just could not catch a break. Just 18 receptions on 24 targets, 10% of the target share. And Eric Ebron has now left this team to head to Pittsburgh, leaving behind 31 receptions and 50 targets. So the competition in general is not really there. Yes, Pascal is coming into his second year to compete with Michael Pittman as really the number two receiver in this offense on the opposite of T.Y. Hilton, who we know has injury concerns. Outside of that, it's Jack Doyle in the middle of the field, somebody who will probably see 65 or so targets this season. And then you're competing with whatever comes out of the backfield of Jonathan Taylor, Marlon Mack, and Naeem Himes for that target share. So I do like the upside for Michael Pittman. Who seems to be the best red zone option for this team right now? Now in 2019, we'll talk about the Colts' offense in general from a passing perspective, but also Philip Rivers' individual numbers while he was on the Chargers. Indy ranked 26 in passes per game with 34, and they were the 25th overall PFF offense in the passing game with just 194.3 yards per game, 30th overall in the NFL. rissette saw just 29.8 attempts per game when he was in the game, and he only attempted 2.8 deep passes per game of 20 or more yards. That was terrible. 26 overall. Rivers was actually seventh in this department with 36.9 attempts per game and 4.7 deep attempts per game was sixth overall. Now, Phillip Rivers last year was not good. 27th in deep ball accuracy, 28th in red zone accuracy. Those things have to be shared up if we want to see these wide receivers have a lot of success and be able to actually spread the wealth around between T.Y. Hilton, Michael Pittman, Paris Campbell, and Jack Doyle. So I think Michael Pittman does have a good amount of upside, especially being drafted early in the second round. The draft capital is there for him, specifically this year. We saw a ton of wide receivers break out last year. I mean, you can name six to eight wide receivers who were fantasy relevant at some time or the entire season last year. So six wide receivers going in the first round, Michael Pittman going early in the second round. We talked about Denzel Mims. I think all these guys have the opportunity to actually produce this year, some more than others based on the role and their landing spots. And Michael Pittman is one of those guys who's a some more than other because of his landing spot. The only guy in front of you is T.Y. Hilton, who should surely command somewhere above 20% of the target share, but is also often injured with lower body injuries. So those are the eight must own fantasy rookie wide receivers for the 2020 fantasy football season. I will give one honorable mention in T Higgins because he was drafted first overall in the second round of the draft and Joe Burrow is now there they have a good offensive coordinator in general and their head coach in Zach Taylor AJ Green Tyler Boyd Joe Mixon a part of this offense I think the dynasty upside for T Higgins is better than this year specifically but after this year they don't have any commitments to AJ Green Tyler Boyd is not a guy who can really take on a number one receiver role better as a secondary slot receiver option so T Higgins after this year the arrow can be pointing completely up with Joe Burrow in this offense if indeed they get the things worked out on their offense of line and the offense gets clicking for the future. Now this year, I do think he will be viable based on that draft capital, but he's likely going to be the third mouth to feed to start the season. But like T.Y. Hilton for Michael Pittman, A.J. Green has had a ton of injury issues over the past couple of years. So maybe he's worth more than an honorable mention, but T. Higgins is a guy that I'd also be keeping my eye on definitely in dynasty formats, but also this year in redraft if he's on your boards late. So thank you for tuning into this video. Check out my running backs video, the must own rookie running backs, and I'll be producing a lot more videos like this. A ton of time and effort goes into these videos, So if you were able to watch all the way through, please please take the couple of seconds and hit that subscribe, subscribe button, the notification bell and the like button. It helps me be able to build a following, be able to get third party advertisers and continue to create these videos and put a lot of time into the creation of these videos. If you appreciate my time and effort here, please do hit that subscribe button, check out monkey knife fight and follow me on Twitter. Reach out with any questions that you have at salvatory DFS. Thank you for tuning into this video. I appreciate you all. And I will see you in the next one.